That's Ramon and welcome to the Human Optimization Podcast, science-based tools to optimize your physiology, master your mind, and unlock your potential. In this episode, I talk with the sleep doctor, Michael Bruce. This is another episode from back in 2019 that I wanted to share with you because sleep is incredibly important. And when we implement science-based sleep tools, it can really make a significant difference in our life. At the time this was recorded, I was deep into my master's research, investigating a neurophysiological approach to sleep hygiene to improve sleep quality and whether chronotype makes a difference. So it was super cool to have Michael on the show and to talk about some of the finer points of sleep timing and chronotype and of course how to sleep better. Now before we get into the episode, a quick word from our sponsor, Brain First. Earth-grown, evidence-based nutrition. One of the products that I love and I take every workday to fire up my brain and get laser-like focus and interflow quickly is Genius Mode. It took me years of research and testing to formulate Genius Mode for Brain First because I was sick of having dozens of bottles and powders to have to mix together all the different ingredients to get the effect that I wanted. So Genius Mode has the best science-backed ingredients for peak mental performance in meaningful doses supported by experimental data. I personally take it shortly after I wake up with decaf coffee and the focus and drive and motivation and mental clarity lasts all day. And best of all, there's no nasty side effects or sleeping problems that you get from some of those other supplements that have a ton of caffeine in them. Now to get Genius Mode, use code Ramon for 10% off in addition to other discounts that you get on the Brain First website. Just head to mybrainfirst.com and you'll see a bunch of reviews from other people who are absolutely loving this product. mybrainfirst.com, code Ramon for 10% off and get your brain an instant upgrade. Right, let's get into the episode. No interruptions. Enjoy, my friends. So the last uh, the last couple of months I've been uh, working on a, a sleep study and uh, I've been looking at sleep hygiene in particular through the lens of the neurophysiology or the neurophysiological uh, mechanisms that regulate sleep. You know, the homeostatic component, the circadian component, the arousal, ascending arousal system. And one of the things that, that really occurred to me is this idea of chronotype. And so I threw that into the mix and one of the sort of specific questions that I wanted to answer was for uh, especially evening types, and for our listeners, we're going to get into the details. So if you're not familiar with this, um, don't worry, we're, we're going to dive into this, I'm sure. Uh, uh, one of the questions I was sort of really interested in is for evening types whose schedule, work schedule doesn't align with their chronotype, how can they improve sleep quality? What are the specific sleep hygiene practices and are they different for evening types and morning types and some of the other types? And then when I was diving into the literature and coming up with my research questions and then starting to collect the data, uh, I came across your work and I thought, um, what, a, what a fantastic episode to have the sleep doctor, Dr. Michael Bruce, on the show to really dive deep into this uh, for our listeners. So thank you very much for being on the show. It's a, it's a real pleasure to, to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be a guest. So I'm, I'm super curious before we dive deep into uh, sleep, and I'm sure our listeners have got plenty of questions that they're, they're going to want to have answered. <laughs> uh, how, how does one become the sleep doctor? Ah, well, there's a lot of paths actually to becoming a sleep doctor. Mine is very unique. Um, most people's paths are not unique. And so when you, when you come to the United States and you look at our medical system, 
Um, during the um, after, after you've become a generalist, an internist, if you will, a doctor, then you specialize. And for sleep medicine, there is an entire specialty track. Now, when I was going through school, there wasn't. Um, sleep was a very new discipline. Um, and, and actually, I'm a PhD, not an MD. So I had a very different path than all of my colleagues. But most of my colleagues went to uh, specialize in pulmonary medicine, so lung doctors um, make up about 80% of the sleep specialists in the United States. The other 20% is kind of a mishmash of neurologists, psychiatrists, psychologists, which is what I am, and um, ear, nose, and throat doctors. And so all of them have other specialties that's their primary focus, and then they all did a residency or a fellowship or something like that in sleep. I had a bit of a different path. So I have a PhD in clinical psychology, and during my residency, I did a rotation in the sleep laboratory. And by the third day, I had absolutely fallen in love with clinical sleep medicine. And I knew this is where I wanted my career to be. So um, I did a six-month specialty uh, during my residency in sleep, and then a six-month specialty in neuropsychological testing, um, which is a, a different kind of a discipline altogether, where if you had a closed head injury, I can give you a bunch of tests and tell you exactly where the damage is in your brain. Um, but more importantly, with sleep, um, when I really just fell in love with it and, and learned that was what I wanted to do, as soon as I got out of school, I, um, I went forward and got a position as a clinical manager of a sleep laboratory. And then I took and passed the medical sleep board. So I'm one of 168 people who have taken the United States medical specialty board without going to medical school and passed. And so I've been an actively practicing sleep doc for uh, going on 20 years, and um, I've seen it all. Um, believe it or not, there are 88 different sleep disorders out there, and I'm, I've seen literally every single one of them. Um, and um, my specialty is insomnia. Uh, most sleep specialists, by the way, treat apnea primarily. And then if you're a neurologist, maybe you treat narcolepsy and restless legs and a couple of other things. But generally speaking, most sleep specialists focus on apnea, narcolepsy, restless leg syndrome. I, on the other hand, because of my psychology background, really decided to focus in on insomnia, learn more about what that is in a person, and then looking for non-pharmaceutical ways to treat that. Number one, because I don't prescribe pharmaceuticals. And number two, I, I think that lots and lots of people out there are on pharmaceuticals for sleep that really don't need to be on pharmaceuticals for sleep. So, so that's kind of where I ended up. And then I wrote a bunch of books along the way and I've been on Oprah and Oz and all those crazy TV shows. Um, and really my goal has always just been education. Like I'm convinced that the more people that I educate about sleep, the better the world will be, right? Because people will think about their sleep, maybe they help with their sleep, they help with a family member's sleep, they get somebody help. Because I'm very convinced that the world would be a better place if everybody just got a good night's sleep. Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, you're preaching to the choir here. Um, on a, a previous episode, I said to one of the guests, like, I'm obsessed with sleep from tracking it to optimizing it to using all sorts of tech and everything else. And, and clearly you have a, a real uh, love of sleep. Obviously, this has continued now for what, a couple of decades yeah, two decades, as a matter of fact. You're, you're making me feel old. 
And uh, I love your your book, The Power of When. Uh, one of the, the aims of Brain First is to provide practical, uh, uh, you know, how-to information, things that people can use straight away. Where did the chronotype uh, element come into this whole mix in terms of sleep? Yeah. So here's what happened is it was patient driven. So, you know, look, I've been practicing for 20 years and easily for the last 10 years or so, I've had patients who've come to me and, and this is an example of a patient. Um, I had one patient come to me and she said, look, I've got terrible insomnia. I can't get up for work. I'm a bitch when I come home. Like my husband doesn't like me. My kids don't like me. My boss is about to fire me. You know, this sucks. Help me with my insomnia. And, you know, I do a pretty extensive interview and uh, blood work and the whole stuff. And I, I said, I don't think you I don't think you have insomnia. And she turned to me and she said, I don't think I have insomnia either. She said, if I could go to bed at 2 a.m. and wake up at 10, she said, my life would be perfect. So I turned to her and I said, why don't you do that? And she said, well, I don't think my boss would be too happy if I did that. And I said, well, do you want me to call him up and ask him? And she was like, go ahead, I'm about to get fired anyway. So I called her boss and I said, look, this is the patient, we're working on something. I kind of like to run the experiment. I think that part of the reason that her productivity is low and she's falling asleep in meetings and missing you know, deadlines is because she's exhausted. And I think she, her biological clock wants her to go to bed late and sleep late like a teenager. <laughs> and the guy was like, you know what? I'm willing to try something for a week because quite honestly, I'm firing her on Friday. And so I was like, okay, no pressure. Um, and uh, we started her new schedule and she got to work. She got up at 10. She got to work by 11. She worked uh, there until I think it was like eight with no lunch. And I called the boss back at the end of the week and I was like, what's going on? And he was like, this is incredible. He was like, she is a completely different person. She's getting, she's here exactly when she says she's going to be. Her work product has improved 100%. He was like, I'm not going to fire her. I think I'm going to give her a raise and a new position. He said, can you, can you work with some of my other um, employees and figure out what the hell is wrong with them? And, and it kind of dawned on me that I was like, wow, you know, there's lots and lots and lots of people out there who have this incongruency, right? So their, their body clock doesn't want to get up, but their social clock or their career clock is forcing them to get up. And so the question becomes, what do you do, right? How do you, how do you deal with that? And that, that's a question that you were talking about um, in our, in our in initial discussion, right, is what if your body clock doesn't coincide with your career clock, meaning you got to go to work at 7 a.m. and you're a night owl. What do you do? Or you got to work the night shift and you're an early bird. How the hell do you do that? And that's really what the power of when went into was, first of all, let's figure out what your chronotype is. Now, folks out there might not know what a chronotype word means, um, but you'd actually do. So chronotype is the same thing as an early bird or a night owl. However, it turns out that there aren't just two designations, there's four, right? So this early bird in the middle, night owl, and then people with insomnia. So what I did in the power of when was I figured out, I said, well, look, We've got to find a way to assess these people quickly and then give them practical based information of what they can do with their lives because so many people are out of sync. And um, so I created a quiz online. If people want to check it out, you go to thepowerofwhenquiz.com and um, you take a quiz. It takes a minute, maybe two. 
and you come up with an avatar or an animal um, that represents your sleep. Now, the fun part is, is that since I'm a mammal and not a bird, I created new animals for each of the chronotypes. And so early birds turn into what I call a lion. So lions like to get up between 4.30 and 5 o'clock in the morning. They are my COOs of a company. They're operators, right? So they like to make a list every day, check off every single thing in order. They like to get shit done. But the truth of the matter is, is they're not the ones who are getting it done. They're oftentimes managing people who are getting it done. My people in the middle, which we used to call hummingbirds, I call a bear. So a bear, believe it or not, represents almost 50% of the population. Those lions are only about 15%. So for all your listeners out there, by the way, who may have seen Hal Elrod, you know, Miracle Morning, or seen about these billionaires who everybody gets up at 4.30 to 5 o'clock in the morning, let me be very clear, that's bullshit, all right? Genetically speaking, only 15% of people can do that successfully. So the big misnomer that all of those guys have put out there is that everybody can wake up at 4.30 in the morning. I got a news flash for you. It doesn't work that way. Only about 15% of people. 50% of people want to get up around 7.30, 7 o'clock maybe, go to bed around 10, 10.30, and are right there in the middle. Um, by the way, being a bear is the best. Uh, the reason it's the best is because society is really built around a bear's schedule, Right. Um, and so, you know, you hinted uh, about evening people and how their schedules don't coincide a lot with daytime people. And so the next category of a night owl, I actually call a wolf. Now, wolves actually do have, a, they are nocturnal. And by the way, lions, which are my early birds, they are very early mornings, as well as bears are in between. But wolves are interesting um, because we're night owls. We're stuck in adolescence, if you will. Um, I never go to bed before midnight and I I don't like waking up early. My body wakes me up because my, my sleep schedule is so damn consistent at about 6.15 um, every day. But the consistency is what's waking me up, not my chronotype. My chronotype is telling me not to go to bed until much later. Wolves or night owls have a tendency to be my most artistic of the group. They're my actors and my authors, my musicians. Believe it or not, we're somewhat introverted in that we're not great in social situations, but we are fine when we're on stage or talking about ourselves or our craft or what have you. <laughs> um, and uh, it's pretty interesting being a wolf. I've been told I've been lazy all my life. Um, I've been told, um, you know, wolves have a greater tendency to have greater risk decisions. Uh, we have poorer health. Uh, it's not the best to be a wolf, to be honest with you. And I'm one, genetically speaking, for sure. And then the final category are dolphins. They make up about 10% of the population. And these are my folks with insomnia. And again, these, this is part of the reason that I wrote the book is we really have to differentiate between people with insomnia and people who are wolves or night owls because they're different, right? A night owl or a wolf isn't having a problem falling asleep. They're just going to bed at the wrong time. An insomniac has got so much anxiety or depression or autonomic arousal that they can't actually fall asleep. It doesn't matter what time they're trying. So there's a really big difference there between those. And once you take the quiz and you kind of fall into that bucket, then once I know what your chronotype is, I can give you very specific advice about, quite frankly, how to do everything. In the book, we talk about the best time of day to have sex, eat a cheeseburger, ask your boss for a raise, literally everything you can imagine. Mm. It, it, it is very specific. Uh, it can be very helpful if you are one that is not... Um, so much really aware of your chronotype and your natural uh, patterns and uh, i'm a wolf as well 
And so I know, yeah. And so, you know, many of the things that uh, you've mentioned uh, certainly resonate with me. It's uh, in the morning here and, uh, you know, my brain will take another couple of hours to to really uh, to get into gear. <laughs> and as much as I would like to get up earlier, I've tried all the tricks in the book to do it. Uh, and And I am actually a little bit more productive. It's hard. You know, there is this genetic component that, that we're essentially fighting. And, of course, it is much easier to just align your schedule with your chronotype. Absolutely. What about the people that can't do that? Like, for example, I conduct a lot of business in uh, California, in the West Coast, and at the, the time difference at the moment does make it quite challenging, which means that I do need to get up a few hours earlier. And I've got a few tricks for that. But what about people that really have a mismatch? So at the end of the day, it sucks. Mm. Okay. Like there's no getting around. There's nothing easy about it because we're good. We're literally going against our genetics, right? So our genes, our DNA wants to do one thing and we're saying, oh no, no, no. We think we're smarter than our DNA. So there's always going to be a lot of physiological pushback in those kind of situations. Now, that being said, there are ways to wake yourself up that are much easier than to put yourself to sleep, right? And so waking yourself up is a matter of light, sound, temperature. Um, by the way, all the same things that can help you go to sleep. So if you know and understand the effects of those three things on your body, you can then utilize them appropriately and be able to give yourself a better shot at going to sleep. The one caveat is your chronotype. There's only one way to change a chronotype. And to be clear, when I say change, it is a temporary change. And that's by uh, using something to help you fall asleep. Um, or if you really want to try to change your chronotype, you use melatonin. Now, I can't remember in Australia, um, is melatonin uh, by prescription only or is it available over the counter like in a drugstore? It's prescription only. Right. So then you'd have to go with the doctor. You'd have to talk with them. You'd have to get your prescription and, and kind of try to figure that out. Because in the United States, it's not it's not prescription. So people can buy it at the local at the local drugstore. So the wake up time, as you said before, you probably got some tricks to it. The biggest one is light. So the more light that you can get, specifically blue light that you can get in the morning time, the better you're going to be, because that really turns off the melatonin faucet in your brain. And what it does is it helps wake you up. It clears that morning fog. So let's say that you're a night owl, but you got to get up at 5.30 every day and, and it's dark out. So you're really screwed. What do you do? Well, you go out and you buy a light therapy box for 50 or 100 bucks and you use light therapy in the morning to help turn off that melatonin faucet. The second thing I do in the morning to help wake me up is I take a cool, not cold, but cool shower. Um, the cool water will actually shunt blood to your trunk and it's incredibly alerting and it'll make you really feel like you know, you're alive in the morning times. Um, and, and I use sound as well. So how would I use sound? Well, one, if I have to get up super early, the sound would be of an alarm clock. But more importantly, from an energy perspective, I like listening to music that makes me want to dance. Mm. So what I do is I listen to fun, poppy up or I listen to, you know, things that I, from my childhood or high school days that really kind of got me going. So I listen to all kinds of crazy stuff in the morning, but it's that emotional aspect of music that you're looking for because it again helps wake you up. 
Now we can actually use all three of those things to help us sleep if in fact we've got some type of circadian regulator like melatonin, right? And so if you talk to your doctor and you get a prescription for melatonin, then you would use that, but you would do the opposite of what you do in the morning. So you would avoid blue light at night by, for example, using blue light blocking glasses, or um, there's specialty light bulbs from a company called Health E. That's H-E-A-L-T-H with an E on the end of it. They're like 25 bucks. And these are, uh, these are actually light bulbs that have filters inside them that filter out the blue light so you never even see it. Um, then from a sound perspective, uh, using earplugs if you've got a noisy bedroom and or different sounds can be very sleep inducing. There's data to show that ocean sounds help people sleep. There are nature sounds, there's repetitive sounds. There's a lot of different noise that can actually be quite helpful for sleep. Um, and then again, temperature. Uh, temperature needs to be cool. The, our, our sleep cycle is actually mimics our core body temperature cycle. And so what happens is around 10.30 at night, your core body temperature reaches a peak and then it begins to drop. Once it drops, that's the sign for your brain to release melatonin and have uh, and sleep onset so you fall asleep. Then it slowly rises throughout, you know, it dips, dips, dips. And then about three o'clock in the morning, it starts to rise again, which is one of the reasons why so many people wake up at three o'clock in the morning. And then you're on a whole different course. But if you're not, if you don't have a cool bedroom, your body can't cool down. So if it's too hot and it's summertime, it's going to make it extremely difficult to sleep. So when your body clock is off from your career or your social clock, these are the types of methodologies that we deploy uh, for people to uh, be able to allow them to adapt to these new circumstances. Mm-hmm, great. And, and they, guys, they do uh, work pretty well, I have to say. Um, oh, yeah. As an example, like last night, uh, I took some melatonin. Um, there, there's another reason I like to take melatonin. I've talked about uh, reactive hypoglycemia before. Some of the research that I've just been diving into about uh, melatonin binding to receptors in the pancreas to suppress the release of insulin, which gives you a, a little bit more of a stable blood glucose throughout the night. At least for me, this is something that I've found uh, can really work. And knowing that I had to get up uh, earlier this morning, I went and sat in front of the sun, direct sunlight for about 20 minutes as well, as well as three hours last night. I had the blue light blocking glasses and the window open to cool the bedroom down. And I'm definitely not uh, 100% like I would be if I woke up at a normal time, but I'm you know, maybe 80% of the way there, which is pretty good if you have to all of a sudden uh, have a different schedule to what you're normally uh, aligned with. Right. No, I totally agree. When you start to deploy all of these different techniques, um, you know, you kind of have to know what you're doing, but you can also experiment around a little bit. And so at the end of the day, I think that's what people are trying to do is to kind of shoehorn our sleep schedule into our career schedule. Um, but my favorite thing to do, honestly, is exactly what I did uh, in my previous story, which was call your boss. Talk to your boss. If you really are a night owl, um, forcing yourself to do this every single day, you might be surprised. I mean, just educating them sometimes is makes all the difference. If you could say to your boss, can I just come in an hour later or two hours you know, off of normal, instead of nine, I come in at 11 or 10, then you might be surprised. Number one, if you say, hey, I'll still work, I'll still take care of my work, they might not care. And you might find it to be a hell of a lot better. Um, and they might understand a little bit more about what's going on with you. So don't be afraid to talk with your boss. I mean, this is all real science. Like, there's no BS here. 
Like we can do a blood work and I can tell you exactly what your chronotype is. You know, or you can take my quiz and you can learn exactly what your chronotype is. And then look, it's real information. You give it to your boss. So look, here's the time I would work best. Let's give it a shot for two weeks and see what happens. You might be surprised. Mm. The power of when. It's the ultimate hack. I think so. One of the, I think when it comes to the different chronotypes, uh, of course, wolves can have a bit of a problem because of this misalignment. Um, bears have probably got it much easier. Lions, morning people, you you know. Bears have got it the easiest. Yeah, right. Uh, lions, you know who you are. You make me sick. <laughs> but dolphins are super interesting. Uh, and, and I know a couple of dolphins, and they're always searching for how to improve sleep quality when we look at some of the objective markers. And when looking at the objective markers, I would have to say, well, you're actually not sleeping that badly. I know. What is it that makes dolphins really quite interesting and very different from the other three types? Yeah. So here's what's fascinating is nobody's really ever looked at the genetics of insomnia. And I shouldn't say nobody. Nobody's ever looked at it in conjunction with um, chronotypical genetics. And so what I did was I started to think about the different genes so the biggest gene differences that we see between the chronotypes is in something called your PER3 gene or your period three gene. This is a genetic uh, phenotype that uh, can express itself in several different ways. And so I was looking at that research and kind of trying to understand more about it. And it wasn't just a single gene expression, to be clear. There's about, believe it or not, there are 74 different sleep markers in genetics. But uh, for circadian, you're looking at about a dozen or so. And, um, and I started to look at the genetics of insomnia and I said to myself, wow, this looks like a completely independent genetic profile. And um, I was able to find the research to prove my point. And so that's really what we did was it, they're similar in the fact that they're genetically linked. Um, they're different in the fact that uh, it's a hormonal change, right? So you're, So in one group, for example, in early birds, your circadian rhythm is two to three hours earlier than the normal. In the bear group, your circadian rhythm is considered normal. In the wolf group, your, your circadian rhythm is two or three hours later than normal. And with the dolphin group, it's just all over the place. Sometimes it's early, sometimes it's late. And that's part of the irregularity of it is really what's so disconcerting for dolphins. And that's really what I focus in on. And that's really who the book was written for, was primarily for dolphins. Well, and actually for wolves as well. Um, Lions seem to get a lot out of it because it validates them and then teaches them kind of how to have a social life because that's the lion's biggest problem is because they're waking up at 4.35 o'clock in the morning. They don't um, they don't really know what they should or shouldn't be doing um, at, later in the evening. Like they have a hard time making it to a movie. You know, they can make it through dinner, but they can't make it to a movie because they've been up since 4.30 in the morning. So, you know, when you look at it you start to learn more about the different characteristics. And one of the things that I've found over the course of the last two years, we've had almost a million people take the quiz, is um, that sometimes dolphins go away. So sometimes it's just really messed up circumstances, really bad sleep hygiene, really bad everything. And then once that kind of gets them locked in, once they lock and load into a healthy sleep schedule, um, all of a sudden their true chronotype comes out and that's where it gets fun. So a portion of people that might identify as a dolphin could be another type and over time that might come out uh, more naturally. What are some of the things that they might be able to do to kind of highlight uh, 
that they may be uh, another type? Is there is there a hack or something that they could do to bring that to the surface? Well, what we do is we just do a 23andMe or an Ancestry.com and we know what it is. So, Got it. you know, there's only so much you can fool mother nature, right? So that's, we're, we're limited by the genetics of it, but that also gives us the answer to it as well. Uh, thoughts on things like uh, measuring sleep with some of the consumer wearables. Uh, what are your thoughts on this sort of tech? So here's the issue is all of them have the same problem, which is accuracy. Yeah. Right. So sleep is a complicated process. If, if you're tracking steps, that's very easy to track. Calories are even easy to track. But if you ask somebody, how did you sleep last night? They don't say, you know, I made it through my 10,000 steps or my 10,000 weeks or Z's or whatever, right? They say, eh, I did okay. Or, you know, they don't say I slept a 37 or a 96 <laughs> or whatever. And so sleep turns out to be incredibly complicated and it's difficult to metric. Um, however, whatever the company is, you don't really want to look at the final number. What you want to look at is the relative number. So if you get 6% REM sleep, I'm not so sure I give a shit if you get 6% every single night. That just means that the, the mechanism may not be accurate, but at least there's not a differentiation in the sleep stage itself. Mm -hmm. Now, if you got 6% one night and 47 the next and 14% the next, then I'm going to want to know what's going on. So when you're looking at trackers, I would say look at it relative like look at the data across a week, like plot it out and see what it looks like over time. And then you can go back in your schedule and see, okay, well, what was I doing this night or that night that could have had an effect on my ability to sleep. But generally speaking, I like sleep trackers because it forces everybody to take notice of their sleep. And that turns out to be a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So we're interested more in patterns rather than um, an absolute number that we kind of, exactly. you know, it, uh, basically make the make the make our decisions on for the rest of that day or that night on what we're going to do oh i got a 74 oh you know what am i going to do with my life so we're looking at the patterns instead exactly it's all about the patterns because so many people freak out when they've got a weird number um, and that's another problem with most of the trackers is they don't tell you what to do what about this idea of of naps what's the the best time of the day uh, does that vary for chronotype how long should people be napping for if they want a quick rest recovery and then maybe get back to work for a few hours so napping is interesting i actually have an entire uh, chapter on napping in the book and napping is going to be different based on your chronotype as well but here's what i would here's what i would say is um generally speaking naps should be under 25 minutes or over 90 minutes Right. Because if it's under 25 minutes and you don't get that sleep inertia, which makes you want to keep sleeping. Right. So you can get up and have enough energy to then continue with your day. Um, from there, you want to look at the 90 minute nap because the 90 minute nap gives you a full sleep cycle. Right. So it's either a short nap or a longer nap. The timing of your nap turns out to determine what stages of sleep you'll get from that nap, and those stages then determine what that nap will do for you. So if, as an example, if you nap early in the morning, like from 9 to 9.30 in the morning, you'll have a nap that'll have REM sleep in it, which will improve your creativity. If you nap from, let's say, 1 to 2 in the afternoon, 
you'll have a nap that's got more stage two in it, um, and that might improve alertness. Then if you nap from, let's say, two to three, that nap might have more stage three, four, and that might help improve your memory and your focus. So it all depends upon the timing of your nap as well as your chronotype. So to be very honest with you, it gets pretty complicated. Right, right. And actually, one thing that we haven't touched on in terms of the timing of sleep or the quantity versus the quality of sleep, uh, because you mentioned cycles, are we more interested in the number of hours or are we more interested in the number of cycles, say, per night and across a week? So there's lots of theories on this. Matt Walker says it's just about how much sleep do you get in a 24-hour cycle. Some people think it has to do with, you know, uh, whether it's light or dark. At the end of the day, I think it's just one of those situations where you have to really kind of see what works for you, right? And so I find that some people are okay with getting whatever their amount of sleep is within a 24-hour cycle. Some people need it all in one chunk. It just really depends. Yeah, yeah. And uh, as we're coming to the end of the show, uh, I have a, a slightly different question for you. What are the the top three things that, based on all your experience, that you would suggest people pay more attention to, focus on, or prioritize to improve the quality of their life more generally? My top three things are consistency in my schedule, whether it's my sleep schedule or my workout schedule or whatever. Our, the one thing that I've learned with all of this chronotype research is that the more the more you know your body and the more consistently you work with your body, the better your body works, right? So whatever it is that you decide to do, whether you're a biker or a runner or a hiker or a walker or whatever, the more consistently you can do that, the better it's going to be in the long run for you and sleep included. For sleep, it's consistency in your wake-up time. So wake up on the same time on the weekends that you do during the week and I promise you, you will not need as much sleep and your sleep will actually improve in overall quality. Um, the second thing I would say, other than consistency, at least for me, uh, one of my big eye openers was exercise. I, I, I was never a huge exerciser and now I run two to three 5Ks a week and I work out two to three times with the trainer and I do spin class on the weekends and I just feel better. My body operates better. I metabolize food better. Um, things are working better when I'm, when I'm on a regular exercise program. For me, cardio and weightlifting um, is critical. And then I would say that the third thing is really about watching what I eat. And not so much like I can't have ice cream or a Snickers bar, but like do I really want to put that in my body? And what kind of food do I want in my body? Can I eat a little cleaner? And what effect will that have on me in the long run? Th those three things turn out to be really the big things for me would be sleep, exercise, and nutrition are really the three things I would say um, have been most critical in my life to improve my health. Very cool. Guys, the power of when, you need to check this out. It will give you literally a template for how to plan your day for your type, science-backed, um, a ton of, of course, experience behind this. Uh, where can people go to find out more? So if people want to learn more about my research and my work, if you come to thesleepdoctor.com, um, there's lots of things to check out there. Or if you want to take my quiz, go to thepowerofwhenquiz.com and learn what your chronotype is. Excellent. 
Michael, thank you very much for being on the show. I know there's a ton of great information that uh, people can dive into here and some further resources. So thank you very much. Thank you. You guys have a good one. So that's it for this episode. If you want to support the show, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, drop a five-star review, and of course, you can connect with me on social with the links in the description. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon. Bye.